this industry, this industry never stays the same. Even the people, if you meet them one year and you meet them 20 years later, it's a quite different person. So we've had various meetings with a guy called Arnold Devet over the years. And um, so now it's time to catch up again because I got a video of a new song that I think is stunning. Can't wait to play it incessantly on the station. But first, we've got to find out where the man is in his life at this moment. Hello, Arnold. How are you doing? Good and you. <laughs> I'm doing fine and fabulous. Thank you very much. Okay, put, put us in the picture. Where are you and your family at at the moment? Yeah, at the moment, we uh, moved to Pretoria about a year and a bit ago. So uh, we're living in Linwood currently and uh, enjoying the warm weather in uh, Pretoria, in the Boerewoordsgordijn. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, and we don't pry with gas anymore because it's not allowed in Pretoria. Why is brying with gas not allowed in Pretoria? Eskom is the same here in Joburg. <laughs> yeah. No, I saw a meme the other day where, where a young guy was speaking to his dad saying, Dad, you need to treat me like an adult. And the dad said, why? And he said, because I'm 30. And his dad's reply was, but you still bry on gas. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate taste of, of maturity is when you bry on gas. Oh, my word. I like buckies and those bry about. Yeah, but you see, we're South African. We don't barbecue, you see. We don't barbecue. We bry. And you bry, you got to do it with yeah. attitude. <laughs> yeah, I know. But Arnold, where are you musically? Uh, are you still leading worship at your church? Yes, I still lead worship at the Bridge Church in Queenswood and in Moot. And um, I signed a record deal a year ago with InnoDays Music. And they, um, and they started a new gospel label called The Shelter, which is going to be like Bethel music or Hillsong um, music or, or Passion or whatever. And yeah, we just re- launched our first single called This Is Who I Am Without You. So I'm basically their first sort of gospel artist under the label. And, um, yeah, we just released this song now and looking forward to some exciting things ahead. Okay, tell me about this record label because I'm under the impression that most record labels have died, have acquired death, never to be seen again. Who are these people? Yeah. Uh, I, I know this is, is quite well known. The Afrikaans people will know them. Like, I mean, I for Joe Black and... For Apple and uh, Carleen van Jaarsveld and Dewald Wasserfall and all the people. I let the map because it's uh, very, very famous um, in locally in the market. But um, the the head of the company, a guy called Johan Foster, some of the Afrikaans ex might know him. He's, he's uh, the guy who wrote the most number one hits in South Africa's history. Um, he he got saved about two years ago hmm. and his, his life his life got radically changed and then um, yeah in the process he decided he wanted to start a gospel a label at under his uh, record uh, company called the shelter and uh, yeah he approached me and uh, said listen do you want to come and work with us and so I just felt peace and I, I went and I did it Okay, so how does this work now? Because obviously you don't sell CDs anymore. Does it mean that a record company these days would focus on digital song sales? Or what does a record company even do these days? Yeah, so so look, I mean, um, 
it's very possible for you to do things by yourself, to release music by yourself. But, um, and I think that's probably what's causing the confusion in, that I see in your eyes. Because why don't you just record it yourself and yeah. release it? You know, what's the record <laughs> company going to do for you? Um, I, think, I think the point is that um, the reason I'm partnering with, uh, with Anadays at the moment is because they have a, have a real good track record of um, knowing which songs to write and release. I mean, uh, there's a thousand people releasing a thousand different things, but um, if you partner with someone who has the right ears to help you write and release the right music, you know, then um, that's the first half of what you need to do is have the right ear. And then the second half of what you need to do is you need to know how to monetize your music, which is extremely difficult uh, in the days we live in. And uh, so you need someone who knows about music law and music rights um, to the T so that they can help you um, earn the maximum from the little bit that you are going to get out of your music. So, yeah, digital is probably the main thing. And then, uh, I mean, YouTube, we saw the other day Baby Shark has 10 billion views on, on YouTube, which means that the, the people who posted that video has made roughly about 400 million rand from that video. So wow. there is still money to be made if you, if you can, if you can, oh, we speak about in Afrikaans, I say breek, I say dear breek. So if you have a, if you have a, especially a worship, English worship song in the, uh, the international worship market that can break through, then, uh, there is a possibility for you to make a living. Until then, you have to have sideline business. <laughs> Most. <laughs> I'm also wondering, in the past, um, when it comes to gospel performances, yeah. secular guys just ask an astronomical yeah. amounts of money, so they don't live necessarily off CD sales. Um, and that had now fallen yeah. away for people in the gospel industry um, and people going to minister yeah. where in the past, you know, if a church didn't have money to pay you, that's okay. You could at least sell some CDs and that would cover your cost and that is not yeah. missing. So how did you um, yeah. compensate for this lack to still get out there and be able to minister and still somehow yeah. eat? I think something that's, that's very comforting for me is that the Apostle Paul in the Bible was was so anointed that his shadow fell on people and they got healed, you know. People would take pieces of cloth and he'd pray over the cloth and take it, they'd take it to the sick people and, and they'd get healed. So he had an astronomical ministry and yet he himself had to take time off from ministry and work and make tents. So um, I think the lesson for me is that Sometimes God calls you, but it's not always going to be financially perfect. And you have to believe enough in the calling of God to say, well, God, then, then help me with something else. else. Open the door for me with something else. Um, help me to, to find a job here or there or something I can do with my hands so that I can stay alive and, and fulfill this ministry. I think for many years I, I thought that if you... If you don't make enough money from what you do in ministry, it means you're a failure. But I, I just think it's a misconception, you know, if I, if I understand the word correctly. Hmm. 
So uh, I think that's something that's really helped me to to know. Okay, well, uh, I will then look for other opportunities for other places where I could make an income, and then it's okay. It's okay. It doesn't make me a top standard minister because I have other re- revenue streams. So um, yeah, I think it's okay. It's okay. It was liberating for me when I realized that. Well, if Paul was a tent maker, that's got nothing to do with ministry. And with it, he supported not only himself, but his companions with him. So it makes 100% sense if Paul had to do it. If you're talking about being um, successful in ministry, we're reading the Bible. If he had stopped because he wasn't making enough money from from ministry, we wouldn't even have had two-thirds of the New Testament. Yeah, and it's it's often we've we've got this idea. Well, okay, God's called me to write the Bible, like Paul. Okay, let's just go into that mindset for a sec. Like, what is what is a more important thing you can do? And my mind sort of thinks, well, if God has called me to write the Bible, then God will send me someone to give me millions so that I can be okay and just focus on writing the Bible. But that's not how the Bible came to be. I mean, we're speaking about the letters of Paul now. The letters of Paul came to be like, Paul is sitting in chains in prison, frustrated as hell, because the Galatian church is now backslidden into legalism. And now he's so angry at the church that he writes them a letter in, ang- in anger. And you, you read some of the language he uses. It's like, it, it's, it's very severe. Yes. I was, he was irritated with these people. And it's like, all, this, all this, these years of hard work planting these churches, and now they they're disintegrating and they're falling back into the wrong thing. And it, 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 he's sitting there thinking, God, everything I worked for is falling apart. And it, it was that moment of, of, of imperfection. It was the moment of brokenness that God actually used to write the Bible. And it's often how God works with us. We think, well, nothing I'm doing is working out. You know, so many, and I'm saying this to encourage people because sometimes you're on this journey and you think, Yes, I had this big plan for X and Y and Z, and it just didn't work out, and it feels like everything's falling apart. And then, and then, don't despise the days where you think, well, things are falling apart, because those might just be the days where God does something like write a Bible through you. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And it's not so, easy, hey. Yeah, it's not easy. It. Sometimes I've, um, when I listen to you like that. Paul had a lot of people around him, friends and foes, Um, but there were people who would encourage him, people who brought him food in prison and clothes. Um, They said that they allowed his companions to minister to him. And sometimes I think, especially when you get into ministry and you get out there, it's like you get isolated because now Sundays you're ministering because that's when the churches are open and that's when you get there. So you lose the connection you have with a local church that can keep you not only accountable, but on days you are down, people that you can trust, entrust yourself to because you know them, because you're doing life in the body of Christ with them. It's something that I think is, is quite um, a dangerous place for people in ministry to be at and something that takes intentionality to handle. Yeah, for sure. I think, well, um, well, well, let me say this. I, I think all of us need someone in our lives who would, who would be would love us enough to tell us when we're being stupid. Um, so um, I always say this, a, a good friend stabs you in the front. 
so you need someone who's, who's, who's willing to look into your life where you can be fully known and fully accepted. I think that's probably um, the best definition for intimacy with someone is when you're fully known and fully accepted. Um, but you need people like that in your life who, who can say to you, listen, what you're doing isn't right. Um, I don't think you're, you're on the right track. Maybe make a course correction. And that's why everything good happens in community. You know, when people get isolated, that's when all the nonsense, all the nonsense happens <laughs> when you're alone. And, and so our community is so, so, so important. It's so, I, I can't stop speaking about it. It's absolutely important. Um, and when it comes I can preach to, for half an hour about it. No, no, I see, I see, I see. I'm just thinking <laughs> one thing that happens when you have got solitude encompassing you is your thoughts. Your thoughts just spiral and they go round and round. And you are someone who's a thinker and a philosopher, you know, someone who, who can take yeah. it from one point and think it through 20 different directions and maybe even talk yourself down. So I'm wondering this new song of yours yeah. is sort of a warning against doing life alone, not only without God, but without people. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think this song specifically actually... Funnily enough, it, it came from that. It came from my mind spiraling and me ending up in, in very bad places. And um, I needed to, um, I needed to really walk with God and with people because you you don't get well by yourself. You don't. I'm sorry. The biblical pattern is, James, is anyone among you sick? Go for prayer. It doesn't happen by yourself. Is anyone among you suffering? Okay, go and pray. And the prayer of faith, you know. Does anyone among you have internal sickness caused by sin? Then go and confess. And then you pray for each other and then you'll be healed. It, it, it all happens in communion. So, um, you know, even with me, you know, because I had an anxiety disorder for three and a half years. And I had to sit on a weekly basis with a mentor and say, well, these are my thoughts. Prove me wrong. <laughs> and it was a it was a very humbling and hum at times even humiliating experience. But I got through it, you know. And uh, most people I speak to that I try to help who has anxiety, who, who has an anxiety disorder, you know, I sit with so many people and I counsel them. And I say to them X and Y and Z, and I speak with authority because I've been through it. And they always say one thing. They say, yes, but. but. Ha, I know. <laughs> yes, but. <laughs> yeah. Without fail. Uh, without fail, they say, yes, but. And, and, and that's why, I, you know, two years ago, I actually wrote the book. I never released it, but I wrote the book on anxiety. And, and, and I, I, I put, put out eight steps to to overcome any anxiety disorder. And the very first step is humility. You have to be humble enough to admit that your anxiety is you being in a spiral because you can't figure stuff out by yourself. And you have to be humble enough to admit that you're in this mess because you, you, you couldn't figure it out alone. And 
if people can get past that hurdle, then then there's help. But that's it's almost like the first hurdle. It's like I have to be humble enough to say, okay, um, here are my thoughts. I think they're right, but they've they're causing anguish in my life. I, I'll submit them to someone I trust, and then you tell me where I'm thinking wrong and why my thinking is causing me to be in the state I am. And it's humbling. It's very humbling. Very, very humbling. Okay, tell me, did it work? Um, did it work? when you? So all of that time you spent with someone that you had respect for and you had these conversations, was your mind changed at some yeah. time? Were your thoughts changed eventually? Yeah. Look, I think if, you, if you're going to the anxiety state, I don't know why we're going down this rabbit hole. It's a very long conversation. But if you, go, if you go into the anxiety state and you spiral down there, then you've got a sensitized nervous system, which means that your thoughts are in, in like a spiral mode, which means that you've kind of lost perspective. You're seeing very narrowly. Mm. And, and then small things become, molecules become mountains. And so for me, you know, what I did was I, I had a, a you know, the, the Catholics speak about a confessor. I love that word confessor. You know, the, the Christians speak about a counselor or a, or a mentor, you know, the, the, the Pentecostal Christians speak about that. But I had someone who I'd sit with on a weekly basis and just say, well, well, this is what I'm seeing. This molehill that's become a mountain in my mind is telling me this. Should I believe it? And without question, nine out of ten times they'd say, mm-hmm. no, you're wasting your time worrying about this. And then I would just trust and say, well, okay, well, then I'm not going. And then whenever the thought would come, I'd go, well, I don't have perspective. They do. I trust them. And, and it, it sounds crazy, but that's how I got well. You're talking about humility here. I mean, that takes humility to give up your right to be right. Yes. Yes. This might freak a lot of people out, but pride is what gets us into trouble. And if we are willing to say, well, I trust you. You're a man of God. You've got fruit in your life. You love Jesus. You're solid in the word. Give me your perspective. And you're willing to actually listen to that. Then you're halfway there. Mm. Tell me about your song, the name of your song. What what are we going to hear when we hear this song now? So the song is called This Is Who I Am with Ouchie. I think when I was headed towards the end of of, um, those three and a half years in my life, um, I I just realized how much God had done for me, you know, in my darkest time. It's like that story of the of the, 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 the two sets of uh, footprints in the sand and then they become one, you know, that, that old corny thing. But it's very true. And um, I realized that God had carried me and then I just, I think it was maybe just a moment of thankfulness where I just said, God, without you, I'm so, so, so lost in my life. And um, this is who I am without you, like a ship without a rudder. <laughs> 